The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. In the 15th year of, of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor over Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Etruria, I should have practiced, Trachonitis, yes, and Lysanias. I just want to acknowledge that when you read these things, it's a lot different than when you try to say them out loud. <laughs> you, ever, you ever have that happen where you're like, yes, I know what that says on the page, and you skim over it, and you're like, then you go to say it out loud, and you're like, I have graduated from middle school. Um, during the reign of the priesthood of Ananias and um, Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness, and he went into the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Father, as we turn to your word together, I ask you would help us to experience your kingdom and your goodness this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Alright, so if you have been following along or you're uh, just catching in with us, we are preaching through the book of Luke. And um, in all of the, uh, all the, the reasons I get paid the big bucks to be a pastor, we lined up the first two chapters of, of Luke with the Christmas season because they're all about the Christmas season. And now we are, we're starting the new year. We're getting into the rest of the book of Luke. We start out after all of basically Jesus' upbringing. And here we start in chapter 3 with John the Baptist, who is the herald kind of the forerunner we've used the image before of like if you ever watch like a boxing match or an mma match like the guys carrying the belts before walking in that's what john the baptist is he's kind of setting the tone and it's helpful honestly to start in chapter three of luke going into the new year because we're starting about new beginnings i mean everybody thinks about we could take a poll about who's done resolutions and who has resolved not have resolutions or who has goals or whatever but however you orient towards it, everybody kind of orients that this is the beginning of something new in the year, and we set goals or whatever. So as we begin that here in Luke, kind of the basic idea around this is what does it mean to follow Jesus? Whether you've been following him for a long time, a few years, a few weeks, if it's new to you, following Jesus always begins in the same realm of what John the Baptist brings out for us. And what John the Baptist helps kind of highlight as the, you might call it the entry gate of the kingdom of God or discipleship or following Jesus is repentance, right? It's very clear here in the passage that it talks about how um, John the Baptist came preaching repentance, verse 3, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Later, he talked about bearing fruits of repentance Repentance is a big deal for John, um, and it's the entry point of how he makes it clear that we follow Jesus. So before we kind of get into breaking the passage down a little bit, I want to just ask the question, what is repentance? I'm not, I'm not sure what your experience is with that word, 
Um, some of us can kind of come from a background where it's heavy-handed, or the association is heavy-handed, whether you're religious or not. The association is repent, and maybe it's like the street preacher in the co- on the college campus, like repent sort of thing. Or repentance means feeling really, really, really bad about yourself. Like that's what it means to repent. Like just feeling terrible. Like that's what repentance is. And so here we are on a Sunday morning, beginning of the year, and you can hear me saying that effectively like, hey, start out the new year by feeling terrible about yourself. Isn't that what God wants for you? And that's not what I think John the Baptist has in mind when he says repentance. I have a quote here um, that's in your handout from Eugene Peterson. Uh, Eugene Peterson wrote, um, if you've ever heard of the Message Bible, um, he did that sort of paraphrased translation. Um, Repentance is not an emotion. It's not feeling sorry for your sins. It's a decision. It It is deciding that you have been wrong and supposing that you could manage your own life and be your own God. It is deciding that you were wrong in thinking that you had or could get the strength, education, and training to make it on your own. It is deciding that you have been told a pack of lies about yourself and your neighbors and your world. It is deciding that God and Jesus Christ is telling you the truth. Repentance is a realization that God wants from you and what you want from God are not going to be achieved by doing the same old things, thinking the same old thoughts. Repentance is a decision to follow Jesus Christ and become his pilgrim in the path of peace. So Eugene Peterson gets at this idea here in the the Greek word under repentance is um, metanoia try to talk about that stuff and it means just a change of mind think of like metamorphosis like it's a change repentance means a change of mind right it's not oh my gosh see how terrible you were in 2022 now we're going to see how terrible you're going to see yourself to be in 2023 it's really saying i want to repentance means i want to see myself the way god sees me i want to see the world the way god sees the world i want to see my neighbors the way Jesus sees my neighbors. And what this passage then begins to kind of tease out for us is God's view of yourself, of your neighbors, and the world is based on an extreme mercy where God stoops down to bring salvation or bring his care and compassion to us on our terms, near to us, right where we sit. We started out talking through the Gospel of Luke and our Christmas service this last week, how in the incarnation, God moves into our neighborhood. We don't get an invite with no ticket to get to God's neighborhood. He moves and buys property in our place and moves into our world. So when we get into chapter 3 of Luke, what we're really seeing is God stooping even closer to us to bring us into his mercy and grace. So the main point here. Again, this is in the outline, then we'll kind of start going. We'll, we'll make some points along the way. Discipleship, following Jesus, begins when we want to live in God's gracious kingdom. All right, we're going to pick up here. You guys were tracking? By the way, sorry, I should have mentioned this. We do Q&A. The number to, sh- is to submit Q&A after the sermon so that we can talk about this stuff is at the bottom of the sermon outline. You're welcome to use that or... Radical idea. You could do the old-fashioned way of raising your hand. <laughs> Just put it out there. 
But if you want, if you if you if crowds intimidate you, that's totally cool. Send in a text. I can read that out. And if it's from Carrie Lynn, then I'll read that it's from Carrie Lynn. If it's not from her, then I'll tell you. I won't tell you who it's from. So, okay. Um, here we have these names that we tried to read before that I stumbled over. What's going on? There's six names here. As we begin in kind of verses one to six, change this sort of discipleship of what it means to follow God happens by living in a new story. That's kind of what we're calling this section. What does that mean? Well, we get these six names um, at the beginning of uh, chapter three. You can ask questions at the end about like the details of who they were because there's historical records about how terrible each of these people were. And I can go into that. The main idea is that the atmosphere of what these people evoke, right? They were real people. So Luke is trying to root the story of Jesus in actual history. But the main emphasis is on kind of the atmosphere of what they created, who they were, the, t- the sense of tension and fear, both from, as a, to remind us, the Roman world dominated the Jews and they were subject to Roman occupation They were largely the kind of low man on the totem pole in terms of political power. Um, But even within that, there were people who were religious people in power and then there's the have-nots. If I said to you, hey, do you remember when such and such happened? It was around October 2020. I think that everybody here would kind of get a sense of what I mean by like, do you remember what October 2020 felt like? Like, you've got, this is just in time for, like, the pandemic to kind of begin to calcify into where people were on the political divide, how people understood mandates and masks and vaccines, and the politics, as a reminder, was heating up on a big way, right? I mean, you have both the presidential ones, you've got the local ones that are all kind of on, on the line. It's just about the time, if you're in kind of the religious world, that people started making proclamations about, well, if you wear masks or if you don't wear masks, you're giving in a fear or not giving in a fear. If, so when I say, yeah, we went to a baseball game in October 2020, like you would kind of understand the context of what that meant. So when, they, when, when Luke starts out chapter three here, these names are really to kind of evoke that sort of like, oh, I kind of, your pulse kind of rises. You feel a little bit kind of anxious oh my gosh, John is stepping out and he's telling us what God has to say about the world right now. Like, God hasn't spoken for 400 years. This is new. The political climate, religious climate, that's kind of what's going on here. All right, so verse three, and he went into the region around the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance. We've talked about that term. For the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Now, as we read this, I want you to envision, like, the prophets in the Bible are largely written in pictures to evoke images, right? So what's going on in these images is key for us to understanding the point of what's going on. To make his paths, make God's paths straight. Every valley shall be filled. Can you imagine, like, the Franconian notch being filled up? That's like, I'm not talking about like the, the, you know, the ditch in front of your house or whatever. Like we're talking about like the Franconian valleys filled. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. Mount Washington. (laughs) That's kind of an evocative image, right? My mind kind of goes to, can you cut it off and fill the valley? 
and he could, and the crooked shall become straight. I don't know if you've ever done the mountain paths. They are not straight. <laughs> and the rough places shall become level ways. Now, if you've ever, I, I'm fixated on the Franconian knot, so you just got to bear with me, okay? If you've ever done that hike, right, there's the ascent to Lincoln. And it's like this on boulders. And I did it in reverse. So I was coming down on all these huge boulders. Like, but imagine that he, these, these boulders that just really like they're the path. But it's just an obstructed way, right? Rough places become level ways. Yes, please, tax dollars, please go there. All flesh shall see the salvation of God. The point of all these images is to kind of draw our imaginations into what would it be like for us to have a path between us and God? And what are all the obstacles in the way? They might be our own valleys. It might be the things that we can't overcome in our lives. It might be that, yeah, there's a path there, but man, there's going to be a lot of rough work to get there. The point is not that we go that pathway to God, that God comes through and swipes through all these things, mountains low, valleys up, rough to smooth, so that he can come near to us. That is the emphasis of this passage, right? Verse 6, And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. God removes all the hindrances that come near us. So, I don't know how you're ending 2022, and I don't know how you're beginning 2023, what kind of obstacles there are. We prayed for a few already this morning. I'm sure there's got others in the room. Whatever those are, the emphasis of this passage is that God's story is not something that happened way back then. God's story is so intimate that he removes all the paths, all the obstacles to get close and near to you to help you follow him. So that you can experience this repentance thing. Now, we've started doing this more in the past. I want to ask a question. And if you can, answer the question. All right. When we read in verse 3, in John, And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. I'm sorry. Verse 2. The word of the Lord came to John. I skipped down the line son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. That term, in the wilderness, does that evoke anybody's imagination about other events in the Bible? In the wilderness? Israel in the wilderness, right after Exodus, right? So, the image here, so, yes. Gold star. (laughs) So, the image here is, after God comes through Moses, leads people through the Red Sea, they go out into the wilderness to learn what it means to follow God. This is the, that is the big story of the Old Testament. And so what John is doing here, when he comes out and starts preaching, he's basically doing kind of like a palace theater, theater act out in the wilderness with religious language, kind of religious imagery. So the people get, he's not just standing like some guy like me here on the corner of Union in Wilson Street. All right, sorry. Valley and Wilson. Sorry, I'm a couple blocks down. 
He's not some dude. He is standing. It would be like standing at George Washington's place and being like holding up like, here's a new declaration of independence. He's doing it to evoke this image of God is starting a new rescue, a fuller rescue, a deeper rescue of his people that will fundamentally redefine who they are in a way that it's like if you go to a theater production, like you walk away changed by the drama. Like, has anybody here seen um, Lion King like on stage? It's, I, I can't describe, I, I mean, it had to have been 25 years ago when I saw it. The first time I saw that giraffe step out on stage with a guy, you know, like with his head and all that stuff, I'm like, I'm, I'm hooked. Like, it totally changed my life. This is John doing that, saying, here is how close God is to changing everything about you through the guy who's coming after you. This is designed so that you walk away changed by the drama of what God is doing. His story effectively, is not merely God saying, I've done things in the past, trust me. The author himself is now stepping into the story. So that the change that you want in your life, it's not just being done alone. All right, let's pick up here in verse 7. So, change happens by stepping into a new story. Change grows. Here we're going to pick up here in verse two, or verse seven. Change grows by giving the new grace that you receive. Let me read these verses for us. He stood, he said, this is John, before the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to, from those stones to raise up children for Abraham. God, um, even now, the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, does not bear fruit. Good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, three things. Those who have two tunics are to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came baptizing and said to came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. And the soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations, and be content with your wages. Alright. So let's start out here. I have never in my life started out a sermon, you brood of vipers. <laughs> I can see, there's a lot of things where I'm kind of like, whoops, I kind of had an oopsie with something like that in the sermon, but never started out a sermon that way. I've never actually said that to anybody. But here, I think that phrase is not to the general crowd. We see through the rest of the Gospel of Luke and other, other Gospel accounts, that's largely addressed to religious professionals, people like me, who are like, Perverting the people of God and leading them away. So it's not merely kind of like what you might call the layman or like non-religious professionals. This is primarily aimed at religious professionals who then suppose that, hey, you know what? I've got the genealogy chart. I can show you. I belong to the people of Abraham. And his point being, Abraham was God's man by faith, not by birth. And it's the same for all the people who claim Abraham as their father. 
Now, again, another question, image association. Anybody else, anybody can think of a place in the Bible where snakes and fruits go together? In the same, bro, for real. Garden of Eden. That's what this image is here for, right? Garden of Eden imagery is going on here. Basically, if you're following God, the fruit of your life will not be the fruit of Satan or the fruit of the snake or the fruit of evil. The fruit of faith, the fruit of grace in our lives is to operate and live like Abraham. Now, if you remember, we preached through Genesis last year. Abraham was a hot mess, to say the least. The point being, though, faith is, secure, is, a, is a security of our relationship with God based on who God is, not who we are, what our family or, of origin is, or even what we do. Now, 10 to 14, I find this part really fascinating. So here you have, basically, John is leading people to what does it mean to follow, follow God. Jesus hasn't quite shown up on the scene yet, but what does it mean to follow God? What should we do? He has three kind of audiences in mind. John doesn't tell them. It's interesting. In the context of the time, there were... Um, anybody ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? Dead Sea Scrolls were written and copied by a group of, of like a religious community that had pulled away, they're called the Essene community, they pulled away from the, the world around them. And that's honestly why they were able to preserve the Dead Sea Scrolls because they were kind of the secret group of themselves, lived, wrote, copied, taught, died off without anybody kind of really knowing the full story. The way the Dead Sea Scrolls got found was fascinating. But anyhow, that's kind of an, an illustration of, at the time, there were communities of people who would just pull away and be like, all these hypocritical religious people, we're not going to be around them. We're going to do our own thing over here. And John's response is to say, no, to be in the kingdom of God is to stay right where you are with the kingdom of God being birthed inside your heart, being birthed and bearing fruit wherever you are. So whatever your week has been or whatever you go back to work for this week, that's the orientation that John has. So his orientation here, he says... If you have two tunics, it, shall, it is to share with him who has none. Whoever has food is to do likewise, right? We see this later in the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus you know, talks about the same sort of thing. This is actually, interestingly enough, quoting from earlier in Isaiah, just a few verses before what he's just said here in these verses. Here, I'll, let me read this for you. It is not, um, is not the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the, uh, of the yoke, and to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke? And this is God saying, Is it not is my kingdom not to share your bread with the hungry, and to bring the homeless poor into your house, and when you see the naked to cover him, man not to, um, a man not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Right? Basically, God's saying, and this is the book of Isaiah, God's orientation for us, for the kingdom of God, as God has housed us in his kindness and grace, we are to share that exact kindness and grace with those around us, right? Jesus was not that much of a radical outside of the, in terms of the Bible, right? Jesus, in the self-giving that he teaches, to say the least, is consistent with the way of God all through the Old Testament. The context of Christian spirituality. Are we all? Are we, can, I, can I do a quick pulse test? Are we doing okay? Yes. Okay. 
It's just, all right. <laughs> all right. And just try, try to check with all the kids, because I just got a, got a few more things to say. All right, we're, we're okay. Don't get distracted, I know. Um, when we think about this, um, and we begin to think about, like, just, the, what is the context you're in? I mean, Nick's situation from this morning we're praying about. I mean, good grief. He's got 30 people around him who now have had the same experience of being basically just kind of dehumanized and cut off from their employment in, in just a heartless way. What does it look like for the kingdom of God to be birthed through Nick in that context? Whatever your work is, you go back to this week. What does it look like for the kingdom of God that takes what we have in excess and give to other, the others around us? At minimum, that's the kindness and grace of God, the mercy that each of us has met with today. Maybe it is actually, we've got a huge homeless situation going on in our city. I mean, the last, uh, one of the last Alderman meeting, like they're basically just kind of like begging people for ideas of like how to help, right? We're trying to generate ideas here at the Hope Center for how we can help people. We've got, we prayed for the refugees earlier. We, we get about 200 refugees a, a year placed in Manchester. What does it look like for us to share our excess with those in need? What does it look like in our everyday actions to extend the very grace that we receive from God? See, the point of what John is saying is that we don't pull away from the neighborhood, from the context around us, to our own little Bible study where we kind of do our Christian thing with our Christian people, Christian stuff all the time. It's interesting. I mean, he talks about tax collectors. Tax collectors were the treacherous people of the day, right? They had betrayed their people to take money. Soldiers, I mean, I'm not sure what your opinion is about war and soldiering, but he doesn't tell them to stop being soldiers. It's fascinating to me that he basically says to mob bosses, hey, just go be a good mob boss. (laughs) It's kind of the, the tone. Now, maybe you shouldn't be a mob boss. That's a different conversation. But the emphasis is repentance, change, grace. It comes to you right where you are so that it can extend to the people who are immediately next to you. That's the beginning of repentance and grace. Let's end here by just looking at these uh, last five verses. Change is empowered by a new spark of joy. Okay. As the people were in, I'm just going to read up to verse 17. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Okay, John basically was saying, I'm baptizing you with this symbolic act of cleaning, right? They would have had ceremonial cleaning. They would have had a lot of different types of baptism at their time to understand. Basically, this is a symbol for what goes on on the inside, right? I am not, it's the same as like, look, I have a wedding band. I'm now not married. I can be married with or without my wedding band. The divorce, I'm sorry, the baptism. (laughs) There's no divorce, just to clarify. Uh, (laughs) At least... The baptism is, an, is a representation of something that's going on on the inside. 
And the emphasis is on the person that's coming after John, which is Jesus. Now, the winnowing fork that's in his hand is basically he's not coming in um, to kind of cut us down. He's coming in to clean the threshing floor, to clean out the paths before him so that we can continue to experience his presence with us. That's the emphasis of this, this kind of image. Now, in 16, verse 16, it says, I baptize you with water. He who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. All right, another Bible question, image question, all right? Does where in your mind does water, passing through water, judgment, fire come together? Like where are those kind of like fire, passing through water, the kind of images come from? Anybody? Yeah. So as Moses is leading them through the Red Sea, the waters of judgment that will destroy God's enemies, he is with them through a pillar of fire. So a pillar of fire leads them through God's judgment so that they can experience nothing but God's mercy and grace. So, baptism represents that we have come into the community of faith, we have come into the presence of God, and his presence now lives in us and is a part of us. Anybody listen to the new Taylor Swift album? Okay. I'm for real. I've said this before. My favorite song is Antihero, right? So, hello, it's me. I'm the problem. It's me. If you ever resonate with that, right? Uh, it's telling that she is, it's a midnight album, right? It's things that you tell yourself when you're struggling with insomnia, right? The worst of what you have to say about yourself coming out. When we feel like we cannot change, that we are absolutely alone, things are stuck, and things will never get better, we might sing with Mrs. Swift. (laughs) I'm the problem, it's me. But in fact, what baptism represents, what following Jesus represents, is that the Holy Spirit is always inside us to empower us. We are never alone with God with us. He says that's what this whole thing of Christmas means. But that Holy Spirit that he's talking about is God nearness to us. The third person that he's called the third person of the Trinity. And as a third person of the Trinity, he's called the beautifying member of the Trinity. He makes us to be more like God. As we follow Jesus, all of these thoughts of, I think I want to follow Jesus. I think I need something in my life that's different than what I'm doing. I think I don't have the answers. I think that I need to change things. All of those thoughts are the presence of the Holy Spirit, which is already an assurance that, bro, girl, you are not alone. God is in the midst of you, changing you, helping you to repent, to follow him, changing your mind, to love him and to enjoy him. So, all right, I'll end with this. As we look to the year ahead, discipleship begins when we want to live in God's gracious kingdom. So, what does that look like for you in the year ahead? Are there areas where, you know what? I'm not saying like, oh my gosh, I had this huge, maybe you need to make some big repentance in your life. But maybe there's just ways of which I want to change how I think about myself and my neighbors and my world. 
I want to live in a bigger story. I want to know that I am not alone. I want to give grace to those around me. Maybe make a list, one or two things. Not a big, big long ones. Just become bats to hit yourself over the head with. What does it look like to continue to join God in your discipleship in his gracious kingdom? All right, let me pray and we'll turn to questions. God, we're grateful for your presence with us, that we can experience your nearness. Help us. Help us to follow you. And help us, more importantly, to see where and how you are near to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.